You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. We're glad you're here. I want to invite you to grab your Bible, turn to the book of Acts in the New Testament, and get ready to study God's Word together in a series we call, We Are All Witnesses, Part 3. Good to see you today. Yep, how are you? Uh, we want to open God's Word here in the next couple of minutes. You are going to need a Bible, Acts 13, Acts 13, uh, starting in verse 13 in just a second. Before we do that, uh, I just needed to give you, I know that we just made a quick announcement about uh, the giving here at the church. Uh, one of the things we were trying to do, usually when we try to get toward the end of the year like this, you know whatever month it is now. Was it October? <laughs> October, November, December. We just want to give you an update. Usually what happens in churches is that we tend to fall behind our budget, uh, usually around this time. And then, you know, in December, it's like, ah, we got to catch up. So we thought we'd try earlier this year just to let you know uh, where we're at. Uh, through September, uh, approximately $7.85 million has been received, which is awesome. Praise God. While we anticipated approximately 8.6 through September, uh, meaning we're about 91% of anticipated giving through September. We're about 10%, 10% off. Yeah, you thought over. No, this below. <laughs> um, uh, we're telling you this mostly just to give you a heads up and uh, kind of ask that if you have, uh, you're a part of our church and you consider yourself a, a follower of Jesus, part of our worship to him is, is our, our giving. You know, it, it's sacrifice, believe me, especially in this day and age. And so, uh, if the Lord is moving in your life and uh, the Lord is touching you through the ministries of this church, it would be really, really great for you to consider how you could, um, God desires you to give the resources he's entrusted to you. I'll say this again in about a month and then we'll say it a little bit more frequently. It'll, give you up, it'll keep you updated as we, as we go along here. Okay, Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verse 13. You know, usually at the beginning of a sermon or any public uh, address, you're supposed to give an attention getter. Do you guys know, you know that? Like I used to teach speech classes and it's like the first thing you do. You know, because the people who are sitting there or just come from whatever it is that they were doing before, if you're speaking at a conference or whatever, those people just had conversations in the lobby. Sometimes it's after lunch and they've, been, they're, they're, they've eaten their fill and they're starting to get a little bit, you know, nodding off. Or say it's an evening service or a morning service. People are tired in the morning and an evening service. They're thinking about what they're gonna eat afterwards. You kind of have to break them away from what was going on there and you have to bring them, bring them in. And so this is the value of, 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 a, of what we call a, an attention grabber. I'm not going to do one today, um, except for the one I just did. So you can think about that for a minute. Um, this is a lot of Bible. We're jumping right in. So I kind of need you to put your thinking cap on. You're, you're, okay, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to hear what your word has to say because in Acts 13, verses 13 to 52, which is what we're gonna be looking at, it's a long section. We're gonna read every single verse and I can't help myself but go to other verses to show you how they correspond to other places in the Bible. This is basically Luke's description. Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, this is basically his description of a typical sermon from the Apostle Paul when he's addressing Jewish people. 
So when these guys go on their mission trip and they go, they first go to synagogues and what you might think to yourself, I wonder what, what kind of sermons he would preach in the synagogues. Well, here it is. Luke kind of records the whole thing and shows you what the, the preaching of Paul and the ministry that he had and the way that he went about it. So in this passage, uh, I'm gonna try to focus on that. We're gonna learn something about uh, what, what, what repeating the message looks like. We're gonna look on, uh, at what responding to the message looks like and finally what the results of the message are. So repeating, responding, and the results of the message. You guys ready? Yeah, okay. Praise God, you guys are my people right over here, right? Okay. Let's jump in. Acts chapter 13, verse uh, 13. Now, Paul and his companions, it's more than one. I mean, he's traveling with Barnabas, but there's some other guys with him. Clearly, Luke, who is writing the book. Uh, now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. I, usually, I know we read right past these. I, I just, I have this thing. I just want you to know that this actually happened in the real world and not in some, some fantasy land, okay? It's not Middle Earth. So Paphos is down here. This is the island of Crete. You can go there today. And they traveled all the way up here to this is area is called Pamphylia. And then eventually they're gonna go all the way up here to Pisidia and Antioch. This sailing trip's about 150 miles by boat. So that's a lot of waves. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them. And returned to Jerusalem. So there's got this buddy with them named John Mark. You're gonna find out about him later. He becomes the source of the breakup between Paul and Barnabas. But at this point, this is the reason that sets up the breakup. He's been traveling with them, been involved in the mission. And at this point right here, he decides, I've had enough. This word right here, left them, it means to run away out of fear. It's what you do. When you see the snakes, you take off. Unless you're some kook. Ooh, I'm gonna play with, no, you don't play with the snakes. You run away out of fear. Well, this is what John Mark has done, is look, I don't wanna have any part of this anymore. Too much opposition. We don't know, maybe he was feeling ill. Maybe he just homesick. <clears throat> We're not sure, maybe just immature. But when you did this kind of thing and you left your leader, especially out in a lurch like this, this actually was a denigration of the leader. What you're saying is that my leader's not worth following and persevering for. So this is, this is a slap in the face of Paul. It's how it would have been read, him taking off. But he does it anyway. He left them, returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and they came, remember when I drew all the way up, they came to Antioch, different Antioch, than the one they came from. There's Syrian Antioch is where they came from. This one is called Pisidian Antioch, just like there's a Paris in France and a Paris in Texas, and they're the same. No, they're not. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and they sat down. So they're going to church. Saturday is the Sabbath day. They're going to church. And after reading from the Law and the Prophets, which is the section in the middle of the, of, of the, the synagogue's kind of liturgy, the, the things that you did in the synagogue, there was a certain order. You read from the Law and the Prophets, meaning like you read some stuff from Moses, and then you read some stuff from like Isaiah. After that, there was usually somebody in the room who would stand up and give like a little bit of a word. The most, uh, usually it was the rabbi, but if you had a visiting rabbi, you would usually let them talk because it was hospitable and maybe they had a word from somewhere else and you wanna learn from them. So 
Paul is there. He's a rabbi. He actually has been trained under a guy named Gamaliel, who is like the pope of rabbis in those days. And so he's a pretty important, Paul's a pretty important rabbi in his own right. And so the rulers of the synagogue, they sent a message to them. They're kind of sitting there in the side or the back. And they said, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement to the people, say it. It's not what you tell evangelists, right? You don't, you don't say to them, hey, we've got some time in our service. You want to, you have a word? No. Yes, I do, says the apostle Paul. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, men of Israel and you who fear God. Remember what I said uh, last week, those of you around, the, the two different groups of people, there were the, the, the Jews who came to synagogue and then on the outskirts of the synagogue were um, what we call God fearers. They were Gentiles who had an, an affinity for Israel's God. They didn't like their God, you know, Diosthenes or whatever it is, whatever God that they had. They, they, they liked Israel's God, but they couldn't get full access to Israel's community because they're still Gentiles and dirty, yeah? So, men of Israel and you who fear God, everybody who's in the room, guys, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. You guys remember that? They were in the land of Egypt, making bricks, getting whipped. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. Red Sea, remember, who, who did it? God did it. Notice how God is the subject of everything that happens. And, and for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, so fast forward to when they go across the promised land, you know, they go around Jericho, the walls fall down. After they destroy seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance, right? The promised land finally becomes, finally becomes there. Again, remember, God led them out. God gave them a victory over the nations. God, 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 God. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he, God, gave them judges. Why, why did he give them judges? Well, because they had a habit of turning away from the living God. God would say, hey, this is the law, you keep it. And they'd be like, thank you, that is awesome. No thanks. So God would respond and say, he sent them judges until Samuel the prophet. And then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, because Saul didn't quite get it, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, of this David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised, before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, as John the Baptist was finishing talking about all this stuff, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I'm not he, but behold, after me is one coming, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and for their rulers, because they did not recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath. 
Guys, I've given you all of Israel's history and uh, God has been laying the groundwork for this Jesus this entire time. And now he's come and been revealed. John the Baptist even said so. He's come, he's been revealed. And you guys have scriptures that we read every Sabbath, like the law and the prophets, which were just read to you. And he's in them. You just missed it. They read every Sabbath fulfilled by them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, the people who killed him, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Who did? God raised him. God did all the stuff. God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. (sighs) Paul, so what has he done? Uh, What he's essentially done is is give a, a history of Israel. And he's tried to make the point that Israel's history was a building revelation all the way along. We call this progressive revelation is a little theological term. Uh, Watch what I'm gonna do here. I'm gonna use this circle. (laughs) So the question that you wanna ask yourself is, uh, when did God first reveal himself to human beings? And the answer is probably Adam and Eve, right? But when he revealed himself to Adam and Eve, he only, you might think, oh, they knew God better than everyone else. No, they didn't. They didn't know that God was triune, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They did not know uh, much about the grace of God. They found out a little bit because they didn't get killed immediately. Uh, they didn't know a lot about the justice of God because they'd just been living in the garden and there was no sin. There's nothing for him to be just over except when he started judging them and Satan, the serpent. So they, they, knew, they knew a little bit about the character of God. Not a ton, not a ton. But then, you know, you go further on, you get like Noah or uh, you end up getting Abram. How much did Abram know about God? Well, he knew more, right? He knew the story of, jo- of Noah, about how Noah, that he, God had wiped clean the entire planet. So he knows more about the wrath and justice of God and, and also the saving purposes of God. He understands more about how the Lord is working in the, in the world than Adam and Eve did because they were just in the garden, but now God has made a world and he's wiped it out and now he's picked this guy out of nowhere. Talk about grace. Uh, when you get to, so Abram, and you get to Moses, Moses knows more about God than Abram does. And the reason he does is because, you know, Moses speaks with God face to face, but he understands God in a, he, he's seen God act in freeing the people from Israel. That's not something that, that's not something that Abram ever saw. He didn't, he didn't see his family, in fact. He was promised it. He didn't see how God was gonna act throughout the ages. He didn't see the outflow of the covenant. So in each stage, you get more revelation from God. Everybody seems to know God better. And then you get David, and David knows even more. In fact, in David's line is the Savior. And eventually, guys, you get to, oh, I ran out of space. You get to Jesus, and the point, the point in all of this is as you move up the line like this way, the more and more revelation you have. And when you get to the end, Jesus is the mystery who for, from ages past was hidden, but is now revealed. Meaning 
that in each one of these locations, all along the way, there were hints about Jesus. But you didn't see them at the time. But now that he's been revealed, people of Israel, don't you see he's the fulfillment of everything that we've been promised? You're seeing a flower and it's bud. You know, you get tulips around the springtime. And they come up and they're just this little bud. And then over time, they progressively get bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Here's the thing about a tulip. Four weeks into the tulip's life or whatever it is, it's this wide open, beautiful thing. It smells lovely. Everything that you see in the, in the blooming tulip was there in the bud. You just didn't see it. This is, this is what the Bible, the story of Israel is. God has always been God. Jesus has always been there. You just didn't see him until he's fully revealed. And this is what Paul's point is to the Jewish people. Don't you see? Don't you see? He's the one. He's the one that the entire Bible has been pointing to. And so you get passages then where Paul will start pointing to the Old Testament and saying, see here, this is where he showed up. And see here, this is where he showed up. And see here, this is where he showed up. He's reading basically Jesus back into all the places. We bring you good news that what God had promised to the fathers, this is fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As it's also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. See, before that said, they wouldn't have read the second Psalm as being about Jesus. But Paul's saying, but it is, see? He was always there. He was the begotten son. Out of Israel, I called my son. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken this way. That's even in the Old Testament. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Whoever this holy one is was not supposed to have died or not supposed to be dead. They're a person who's alive. Don't you see? He was there all the time. For David, after he had served several purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised did not see corruption. Don't you see? Jesus is the, he's, he's the fulfillment of all of it. You guys ever seen the movie with the twist in the end? Yeah, we love the twist in the end movie. You get to the point where you're trying to predict the twist in the end. Well, when, when you watch that movie and you get to the end and there's the twist in it, you're like, the better the twist, right? The more floored you are. Oh my gosh. And I've told you before, if you go back and you watch it again, you see how the twist has been revealed all along the way. You just didn't see it. You just didn't see it. But now that you know the twist, you go back and you say, look, the whole movie sets it up. Right. Right. The reason that the Jewish people should receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior is because he's their Lord and Savior. It's because he's the one to whom their entire scriptures point. He's the fulfillment of all the promises. So this is Paul's message. This is the way that he preaches. In fact, Jesus did this very kind of thing, all right? When Jesus was raised from the dead, he, he gets on a road, you know, uh, with these two guys. They're traveling to a place called Emmaus, and these two guys are traveling along, and Jesus sort of kind of just sneaks up with them and starts walking along as they're traveling. And he has this weird conversation to them. And they're like, oh, these things that have happened in Jerusalem, they're so crazy. This Jesus, we thought he was gonna be the king, but then he died, and Jesus says, oh, tell me more, <laughs> Not knowing it's him. 
And eventually they just, they're, they're really down, you know, downcast about it. And he said to them, oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, what? All that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And, and, and beginning, guys, and beginning with Moses, the law and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Books about me, man. He's like, <laughs> that's a Bible study I want to be a part of. Jesus saying, let me show you how the book is about me. Now look, this, this, when I say this is the gospel message, that Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's promises, the one who inherits the blessings given to Abraham. You might think, what does that have to do with me? Ooh. See, there's the gospel, there's the message, and then there's the response to the message. Okay, so, so first, I just wanted to tell you what his message was. Here's the response to the message. What are you supposed to do with this information? Was it just a history lesson? Let it be known to you, therefore. So here's the application section. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, through this Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, by this Jesus, Everyone who believes is freed, listen to the language, is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. But what are you talking about? Be freed from everything that you couldn't be freed from the law of Moses. So here's the way it worked, right? God gives the law to the people. God's law of Moses, up on the mountain, comes down. Here's the law. This is how you ought to live. If you live this way, if you obey me, you will receive blessings. Uh, if you disobey me, right? If you, if you spurn my law, you will receive curses. And like I said a few minutes ago, as you go through, that God ends up sending judges because they spurn his law. They, they don't always obey it. In moments they obey it, they receive blessing, but most of the time they, don't, they, they disobey it. And so the Lord responds by giving them the very thing that he promised he'd give them, curses. So the Babylonians come in and take over. And they're like, why, O oh Lord? And the Lord's like, because you didn't follow the rules. <laughs> they, send, they send Samson in, or he sends Deborah and the judges, sends Samuel in. And, he, and all of these are supposed to call Israel back to true devotion. The problem, though, is, okay, the law... Holy and righteous and excellent as it is. It's a revelation from God's character. The law, as wonderful it is, as it is, does not give you the ability to obey itself. You know this, by the way. Uh, every time they say, we need to pass a law, you're like, yeah, that's gonna help? Like, that's gonna help. Like, the guy who's already breaking the law is like, well, I don't know, man, they passed a new law about this. So I, don't, I don't think we ought to do it anymore. No. No, the law... The law just tells you what is wrong. It does not give you the ability to do what is right. So how is Israel gonna get the blessings? They're in this perpetual loop of always failing and always failing and God is faithful to bring them back, but they never get the blessings. They never experience the blessings promised to Abram. 
What they need is somebody who might be a Jew who can come along and can maybe be the king so he stands in for the whole nation, right? And they are able to do all of the things so that now that he's able to keep the whole law, the whole nation receives the benefit of his kingship, yeah? Like if you could find somebody who is a king in the line of David who could keep the entire law. You're freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Look, uh, image, I might have used this before or shared this illustration before. I've always found it really helpful though. Uh, I want you to imagine for a minute that you're, um, you're on death row and um, you, have, uh, you have a deal though that's been made to you by the gracious judge. And this is my story, right? So I can make up all the details. Not, this is not a real story. Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, if you can completely keep your, your cell clean at every point, you can actually go free and escape death row. So you like deal. I, mean, I got no other thing, so I'm gonna go out and you go around your ro- you know, room and you clean everything up and then, of course, the next morning I come in and I look around and I say, well, you missed this windowsill over here, right? My little white glove. And then you're thinking, you said, okay, I'm gonna get the windowsill tomorrow. So you do all that stuff. And then the next day I come in and I say, you see this little crease in your sheet? Not good enough. So the next, you get the sheets crease. This time I go underneath the bed and I see that there's a spider underneath there. And I said, no spiders. No, we can do this forever and ever and ever. I always find something wrong. You're never able to keep completely the rules so that you can escape. And then one day I walk in and I see, all the, see it all and you failed again and I say, listen, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm amazing at this and I'm just, I'm, I can do this. So I'm gonna actually do it myself and I'm gonna clean the entire thing. And as I clean the entire thing, you have a choice to make. You can stay in prison or you can leave because the law, the requirement has been met by me. The requirement is met by me. On your behalf, you can stay or you can leave. This is basically what Paul is saying to them. God has fulfilled his own law in Christ. He has accomplished the law so that you get a choice now, O people of Israel. You can either stay and ignore the fact that it's already been done for you and head to death row, or you can walk out. Because you're freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware Beware, though. By the way, how how do you access that? How do you walk out? You guys saw the language here. Everyone who what? Who believes. Doesn't require anything more than simple belief, simple acknowledgement and affirmation that yes, Jesus, you are the Messiah who sets me free from the law of sin and death. Have mercy on me, a sinner. You get to walk out of prison. And you think, well, yeah, but what if, what if I don't? Beware. 
lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, he quotes the book of Habakkuk here. Look, you scoffers. Scoffers are people who make fun of the thing that's just been presented. <laughs> Whatever, man. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Listen, you hear what this guy just said? We could go free? <laughs> Look, you scoffers, be astounded and what? And perish. For I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if no one tells it, even, even if one tells it to you. See, here's the thing. What he's essentially saying is that there is a danger in disregarding this message. And in my story, my illustration, what is it? The electric chair, the death row. It is really, really important for us in the Christian church these days to recognize that uh, if you choose to reject the offer of salvation, there will literally be hell to pay. When you read uh, the Apostle Paul's um, other sermons in the book of Acts, one of the things that you come to the grips with, so, so this one is to the Jews. If you go to Acts 17, you'll find a passage that's written to the, that's basically him preaching to the Gentiles on Mars Hill. The Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, not well acquainted with the Jewish scriptures. And so Paul's approach with them is very different hey, I saw a, a statue outside your city. It was to an unknown God. It made me mad. I'm gonna talk to you about what you guys don't know. I can declare to you. So you, you, don't, you don't hear him drawing back on the Old Testament because they don't know the Old Testament. He's drawing back on what they know. But in each case, doesn't matter who Paul, Paul's talking to, he can talk to Jewish people and he can talk to Gentile people. When the, in each case, when he gets to the end, when he gets to the end, he talks about judgment. So Acts 17.30, the times of ignorance, gets to the end of this speech to the really smart philosophers. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will, he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So what Paul's doing here is he's saying, look, there is a danger in disregarding the command to repent. I, uh, I have struggled for a long time, actually, with some of the things go, that go on in the Christian uh, church. Uh, have you ever been presented a, like an investment from somebody you know? You know, your friend gets into finance or whatever and they come to you and say, hey, I gotta get some new clients and so here's my deal, here's, here's my investment strategy. Uh, and you, you're like, yeah, thank you. You might already have an advisor or you might not even be in the place where you can think about this stuff. And so you end up saying, uh, no thanks. And they say, okay, but I'll leave my pamphlet here with you. You're missing out on some really great opportunities, Right? So in this situation, I, if I say no, all it is is I'm missing out on the extra money I might be making. I'm not losing anything, right? There's, not, there's nothing at stake for me. 
I can just say, no, maybe our friendship, but nothing at stake for me. I'm just gonna miss out on the extra bit. There are a lot of people who treat the gospel like that. Hey, you wanna follow Jesus? He can give you your dream destiny. Do you wanna have purpose in your life? Jesus can give you purpose. He loves purpose. He'll give you meaning and purpose and happiness and joy and, or money. Say the words, speak it into the cosmos and Jesus' job then is to come alongside and to give you the prosperity that you so desire. You have a dream? There's lots of people who have dreams. Dream for breakthrough? You wanna be a world changer? You dream for a business? You have a dream for a relationship? You have a dream for... Jesus' job is to come alongside and to help you get that. Well, what if I reject Jesus? You won't get the relationship that you wanted. He, he's your help to make it happen. Your dream destiny will be missed. Your business will not come to fruition. You won't be prosperous. Do you hear the language? Everything is for this life stuff. Everything's about, if you reject Jesus, you're gonna miss out on all these financial opportunities that are yours in Jesus. I used to listen to um, sermons while I rode my bike. I got sermons for everywhere. I ride my bike almost every day when I lived in Canada and I, I would listen to sermons because you know they'd be 45 minute sermons and ride for about an hour, an hour and a half. And by the time I came back, I'd listen to a couple sermons. So I listened for, from everywhere. And I, I came to the conclusion that one of the key things that's missing in almost, almost every popular preacher these days is a declaration of the wrath of God. That, there, that if, you do, if you don't repent, eh, it's okay. I mean, they don't even talk about that. It's always the promise of something presently prosperous that you're gonna add to your life if you come to Jesus. He's a great accessory, this Jesus. There was a girl recently who was baptized. No kidding. She was baptized at a church uh, and she wanted to be, quote, a warrior for the animal kingdom. That's why she got baptized. Did you hear the language? I said, wait a minute, you're getting baptized into Jesus so you could be a warrior for the animal kingdom. So Jesus' job is actually come alongside you and to help you be this warrior and to walk into your destiny. You hear it? You will find none of that in Paul. What you will find in the Apostle Paul is if you choose to, if you choose to, push off, if you choose to fight back, if you choose to oppose or ignore the message of so great a salvation, there will literally be hell to pay. So uh, what's the response to be? A walk out of prison. Or die yourself. You, mean you could face the wrath of God yourself or you could let Jesus face it for you. It's your choice. But the wrath of God will be faced. This is why no one comes to this church. Oh, no, by the way, that's why people get, that's why you get upset, right? That's why pastors oftentimes don't wanna say it because they're like, oh, this is not gonna really appeal to the ears of people who are new to church. Okay, okay. But you know, if a tsunami's coming and I don't ring the bell, I don't know, what, what am I doing here? So, last one. What are the results of the message? Um, well, 
13, 42, uh, as they went out. So he gives his message. Listen, you gotta, rep- you, you gotta repent. You gotta turn to Jesus and receive him. You have to believe in his name. Have mercy on me, a sinner. That's it. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Now, that's the kind of place I like to be, right? They're begging the pastor to come back, right? Please come. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism, this means they believed. (laughs) They followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them, you guys have now believed, continue in the grace of God. This is just the beginning of the race. Continue walking with him. This is a great start, though. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city was gathered. Do uh, you know what hyperbole is, right? Some people treat the Bible like it's like this medicine book or some sort of like legal document. And look, if it says the whole city, the whole city wasn't there. This book lies. A- actually, this is what you know, Uncle Rico did when he said he could throw that football over those mountains over there, right? The polling done. Okay, so he, he, can he throw it over the mountains? No. No, but this is the way we talk. Dude, you should have seen it. Every kid in the school's there. No, they weren't. But it was huge, and the mass packed. There's so many people bleeding out the doors. Next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, by the way, when you see crowds, read Gentiles, because all the Gentiles are coming, because Paul said, hey, you guys can be included in all this, and they're like, woohoo! And they show up with their dirty feet and their bacon smell, and they're up. And they're like, and the Jews are like, this is awful. They're, they're trampling the courts. They're, they're here messing everything up. This is, you know, ceremonially unclean. They were filled with jealousy, these Jews, and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him as openly opposing him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, right? Because Jesus is your Messiah. And so I come first to you and give you the offer of the salvation that he gives. Since you thrust it aside though and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, it's a great line. Since you don't wanna go out of prison, since you're being nutballs about this, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. So for the Lord has command, for so the Lord commanded us, I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, you go to the Gentiles, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews, they incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city because they have connections, right? So they're using their connections. This is what happens when someone wrongs you. You say, do you know who son I am? Do you, know, do you know who I know? You know the mayor? He's my buddy. We grew up together. So that's what they do. They go and they find their connections and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. This is the same language that's used when they're kicked out. In Acts chapter seven, Stephen gets stoned. A great persecution arose. So we're talking about like getting beaten up and whipped and businesses taken away and scourged and all sorts of stuff. Stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. (laughs) This to shake off the dust is basically, you know how we do this? We like, well, 
See ya. And wash my hands of you guys. <laughs> they just more, you know, I would love to see ya, dude. I'm out, right? You guys had your chance. And the disciples, listen, these guys who were just persecuted, go over and they shake the dust out of their feet. They were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit because that's what you're filled with when people reject you, right? Isn't, isn't that the thing that's deep inside your soul when nobody likes you and they oppose you and you've given your whole life for something and you go to your friend who, who's, not been a, who's never believed and you go to them and you say, this matters so much to me. It's changed my life and Jesus and he's amazing. And they're like, Pfft. and I hate the fact that you brought that up. We're done. You walk away and go, woo, joy. See, I think that's an odd response. So what makes Paul and Barnabas joyful? As we finish this, what makes Paul and Barnabas joyful? At the rejection of the ministry. Well, I read right past it. When the Gentiles heard this, began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord, and as, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Uh, so let's do a little bit of language. Uh, he's saying appointed, uh, appointment, okay, leads to belief. You and I think that should be the other way around. How does somebody get saved? Well, all those who believe are appointed unto eternal life. Yeah? Isn't that the way we, it sounds, that sounds right. Is that what he says? Well, no. All those who are appointed believe. So appointment precedes belief. So in other words, God's in charge of the appointment to eternal life. Paul's going out and he's proclaiming all this stuff and those who believe are in God's hands. Salvation is of the Lord, right? Uh, you get the same basic thing being said in John chapter 10. Jesus answered him, I told you, and you do not believe. He's told the Jews that, that hey, I'm, I'm the guy. But you don't, you don't believe me. I told you and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But the reason you don't believe is because you are not among my sheep. So, so listen, belief is the product of sheepiness. We want this to say the opposite, but you do not, you're not a sheep because you don't believe. Not what it says. Sheepness, appointment, precede belief and salvation. The reason that Paul and Barnabas can walk away with joy in their hearts is because they know that the salvation of the people who they are proclaiming to is not in their hands. And when you know this, you can go forward and you can say, Lord, I don't know who your people are. I have no idea. I'm just going to proclaim the word. I'm going to share it boldly. And those who are yours are going to respond. I know you'll do this. You have many people in this city, Lord. I know you do. We just haven't seen them yet. So he doesn't lose his mind or get sad or lose heart because he knows, he knows salvation belongs to the Lord. The moment you forget that is the moment you lose heart. The moment you think, what is going on in this world? So let me just, uh, I'll, I'll finish with a story about my favorite, one of my favorite characters in Christian history, John Patton, whose name I've mentioned to before. He's the guy who went to the 
uh, Vanuatu, so South Pacific uh, Island, and uh, they wanted to eat him. You probably remember that. Chased him all around the island, these people. He was there for four years on the island of Tana, and they chased him all around the island. And at different times, he was sure he's gonna die. So I wanna read to you a couple, a couple of his statements in his, in his autobiography, Missionary to the New Hebrides. This is the name John Patton, Missionary to the New Hebrides. Read it if you like good movies. He lost his, his wife and baby when he got there. And he wrote, it was very difficult to be resigned, left alone and in sorrowful circumstances, but feeling immovably assured that my God and Father was too wise and loving to err in anything that he does or permits. I looked, I looked up to the Lord for help, but I struggled on in his work. A little while later, these guys show up and they want to kill him. Uh, sometimes he'd wake up in the morning with guys, you know, he, hovering over his bed with killing stones is what he called them and spears ready to stab him through. Then, you know, your alarm goes off and you're like, you got to get up when the guy's about to kill you. He, He wrote, one morning at daybreak, I found my house surrounded by armed men and a chief intimated that they had assembled to take my life. Seeing that I was entirely in their hands, I knelt down and gave myself away body and soul to the Lord Jesus for what seemed to be the last time on earth. Rising, I went out to them and I began calmly talking about their unkind treatment of me and I contrasted it with my conduct towards them. I also plainly showed them what would be the sad consequences if they carried out their cruel purpose. At last, some of the chiefs who had attended my worship service rose and said, oh yeah, our conduct's been bad, but now we'll fight for you and kill all those who hate you. (laughs) All right, okay. He ends up in a tree. He finally leaves the island because he ends up in a tree because everyone on the island is trying to chase him down and kill him. (laughs) They don't want Jesus, in other words. In retrospect, he said, life in such circumstances led me to cling very near to the Lord Jesus. I knew not for one brief hour when or how attack might be made, and yet with my trembling hand clasped in the hand once nailed on Calvary, and now swaying the scepter of the universe, calmness and peace and resignation abode in my soul. Now the reason that you and I can say that we're sorrowful yet always rejoicing is because we know who's in charge. We, we, we know how it ends. We know where we're headed. There's not a single thing that's gonna happen in your life this week or a single thing that happened in your life last week that was outside the loving providence of the Father who chose you before the foundations of the world. You have to let that soak in. We have to let that soak in. Or all we'll do is lose heart. Let me pray for us. Lord, I'm thankful for... um, Yeah. 
So easy to lose heart, Lord. But I'm thankful for Lord Jesus, and I'm thankful. Uh, I'm thankful for biblical reminders. Uh, and I just personally want to thank you for the last few weeks of these passages and acts. They remind me so much of what it means to follow you, and ultimately how we're in your hands. And I pray, Lord, that that would be something that's not just that I think about, but something that I can feel, that my friends here can feel. I pray, the Father, that it would overwhelm us. The world was transformed by guys like Paul and Barnabas who were just walking around the world, sailing on ships, boldly proclaiming in places that had never heard the name. And they went about joyfully because they knew, they knew, Lord, that you were in charge. Lord, help us to know that you are in charge. Help that just to fill our souls. The knowledge that you have all things in hand and that despite the chaos that we see around us, it's not chaos to you. So we pray for wars and earthquakes and famines and political maneuvering and all the things that we see and we just shake our heads and things in our own lives, Father. Disappointments and how we've been let down by this or that. Help us to cling to you, Father. Would you you show us Jesus in these moments? Help us to know him, to sense his presence We're lost without you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information and how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org.